We're going to continue if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 28 here in just a minute. But uh, we're going to continue some insight into the kingdom of heaven through the parables of Jesus. Obviously, we started that uh, several weeks ago now. And we talked last week about the workers in the vineyard and how uh, the, the landowner went out at six and found some to work and, and then went on a few more times. And then he, all the way down to the 11th hour, there was just one hour left and took those workers as well and paid them all the same. And We saw the grace of God that he would be good enough to give us a field to work in. Amen. And not only that, but to let us work with him. It's a blessing to be able to work with God. There's a lot of people that look at being a Christian and serving God as this awful, burdensome thing. Oh, it's just so awful. Oh, Pastor Bob. Oh, it's so hard. Listen, you get to work with God. You get to, to join in with His kingdom and get to work. It's a blessing. It may be work, folks. It's still work, amen? Sometimes it's work, but it is a blessing nonetheless. And we know that He's got a gift of life for those that seek Him and work with Him. Now this week... In the next several weeks, or I guess this week and next week, we're going to continue with some insight into the kingdom through this understanding of the landowner, the vineyard, and the worker, and all these things. Uh, But what we're getting ready to look at is not what Jesus spoke just to his disciples. He spoke it to the leaders. He spoke it to the spiritual leaders of the day, those that were supposedly knew God, the Pharisees, and and all of those that were leaders at that time. Um, If you want to look with me, I'm going to give you a background here in verse 28. Just before that, if you want to back up and look at it, you can. Jesus is teaching uh, in the Pharisees and, the, and the, all the leaders there are, con- are upset with him and, and saying, you know, by what authority do you do these things? By what authority can you come in here and teach this? By what authority can you work these miracles? So on and so forth. So Jesus says, says uh, John's baptism, was it from, you know, I'll ask you this, is John's baptism, was it from God or man? And they said, well, I don't, you know, they knew. They said if they knew it was from God, but if they said it was from God, then they're going to have to say, well, then why didn't you believe it? Well, if we say it's from man, then the people are going to be upset and they're going to, you know, they're going to get mad at us because they hold him as a prophet. So their answer was this, I don't know. You ever met anybody like that before that's an I don't know kind of person? Uh, this morning in our first service, I said in my notes, but I was reminded of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son in the first Karate Kid. <laughs> Do you know that God speaks to you about Karate Kid sometimes? He did me this morning. <laughs> oh, come on, folks. You know, Daniel-san. Uh, Daniel-san in Karate Kid, he, Mr. Miyagi asked him a question. He said, I don't know, you know. And he said, you either got to choose. You're going to be on the right, on one side of the road or on the other. If you're in the middle, if, you're, if you say, sensei, yes, it's good. If sensei, no, bad, good. But if you say, sensei, I guess so, then you get to squish just like a grape. That's what Mr. Miyagi told him. If you're in the middle of the road, folks, you're going to get squished. It ain't going to work. And the kingdom of heaven, you're either in or you're out. Right? You're either in or you're out. There is no in between. And today we're going to look and see that there's some people that aren't real sure. They're trying to stay in between, try to straddle the fence, try to live in both worlds and try to, try to show some spirituality and live their own life. But folks, that ain't how it works. That's not it. They say, well, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, fine then. If you don't know, then I'm not going to tell you where I get my authority. Listen, you're not going to get answers from Christ walking the fence. Seeking some truth for yourself, living on a fence, and not choosing if you're in or out. Listen, God's got something to say to the lost. He's got something to say to those that are saved. But those that are playing a game and straddling the fence, don't look for revelation. That's just extra. Just throw that in your mind for a second. 
So Matthew 21, this is, this is where we get caught up with in verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later the dad took him and beat him with a belt. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. <laughs> took the belt and beat. No, I'm just kidding. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, a quick overview of this, and then we're going to look at it a little closer in just a minute. But the first thing Jesus says is, what do you think? Which is key for us today because, because uh, <laughs> it's a question that's got to be answered. Amen? What do you think? What do you think? Jesus already knew what their heart was. Jesus already knew what they thought. He wasn't looking for an answer to a question that he didn't know the answer to. We understand that today, right? All through the scripture we see over and over and over where Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. He knew the thoughts of the disciples. He knew a lot of times he would ask questions so that they would know what they were thinking. Kind of like when, when uh, Adam and Eve had sinned against God and God walks into the garden and he says, Adam, why are you hiding? He already knew the question. He already knew the answer to that question, but Adam needed to know the answer. These men right here needed to understand what they were thinking. They needed to know what they understood in their philosophies. Listen, this morning, you and I have got to have our philosophies, our theologies. We've got to have our motives and everything checked by God. He's got to look at us and know what we're thinking. We need to know what we're thinking because, listen, if you have not answered the question to know what you're thinking on this side of heaven, on this side of life before death, then someday you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to go, what in the world were you thinking? Has anybody ever been asked before, what are you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? I've been asked that once or twice in my life. <laughs> I was in our uh, new members class, and, and uh, Becky, Holy Cross, informed me that not everybody's, well, some people are surprised that I'm a pastor. Let's put it that way. <laughs> what do you think is exactly what it means? Jesus wants them to know what they are thinking. It's a very simple answer to a simple question. And it's something that our motives and everything's got to be challenged and confronted because if they're not, someday we'll stand before him with a motive or a, or a philosophy or a theology that's totally wrong, folks. We've seen that in, in the book of Matthew where it talks about those that say, but Lord, I've cast out demons in your name. I've prophesied. I've seen all these miraculous things. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It's important for us to know what we think today. And if you're here today... And you don't know what you believe, you don't know what to think, you've come to the right place. Because today we're going to challenge those motives, those thoughts, that theology to make sure that you're thinking right. Has anybody ever heard of stinking thinking before? I used to use that with our, with our kids in, in uh, youth ministry and, and they would get all upset and depressed about things and all worried and, and frustrated. And I'd say, your problem is, is you're full of stinking thinking. Stop it! Stop thinking on all the negative things. The other thing that we see in this parable is that there's two sons. Very important that we see that there's two sons. Two sons that are given the same command and two sons that react differently. 
The father, obviously the landowner, is a representation of, of God. We've known that. We've talked about that as we've gone through the parables. And he speaks to these two young men and he gives them the same call. This morning we have to grasp and understand that every human being was designed and made by God. Now listen to me. I know this isn't going to be something we're going to go on and on and on with. This is just an overview. I want us to grasp this morning that you were made by God. All of your gifts, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of your, even uh, some of your negative things that you got inside of you, you were made by God. Some things He gave you to celebrate and to use. Some things He gave you to overcome. Right? God is good and He made you. Listen, you know who else He made? The one that's waking up this morning from a drunken binge in somebody else's bed from an adulterous affair. God made them. While they may not be obeying the Father, the Father loves them. And the Father made them. So we have two sons, a representation of mankind. We have, we have one that, 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 that is rebellious and one that is, is uh, to his face, very quiet, very obviously honoring him to his face. But then when his mind, when his back is turned, his mind goes to his own things. The Father gives them this command and he tells them to go work. A command is not followed with, if you want to. Is it? How many of us would, and I've seen parents like this before. Hey, you're going to clean your room if you want to. If you want to. I mean, you don't have to, but I would like to see your room clean if, if you want. Now, how many, what kid in their right mind is going to do it? I don't want to clean my room. If I want to clean my room, it had been clean already. You know, if a little kid would, would mouth off to the parent. Back talking to the parent. You better shut your mouth right now if you want to. <laughs> well, I don't want to. Well, you better if you want to. It doesn't make sense. But in the church today, we've made the great commission the great suggestion. Go work in my kingdom. Go work in my vineyard if you want to. If you want to. That's not what God's called us to do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... It's not an if-you-want-to basis day-to-day-to-day. It's what you've been commanded to do is to live for Him. Now we have these two sons, and one of them was openly rebellious and, and took the suggestion or the command as a suggestion and said, no, I don't want to, I'll do my own thing. But later, he, <laughs> later he got smart, and he figured it out. Amen? We see also here where he gives an appointed time of the word today. Go and work in my field today. Don't say go work in my field if you want to uh, whenever you get a chance to. It says today. Today is when I'm calling you. Listen, when, the, when Christ calls you to do something, when he's drawn you and drawn your heart to him, today is the day to do it. If he's stirring in your spirit today, today is the day he's drawing you. If he's stirring in your spirit to go speak to somebody at work and you're sitting there and say, Lord, I don't know, I don't want to. He's not suggesting you to go speak to your friend. He's telling you to go speak to your friend and he's telling you to do it today. Why? Because your friend is ready today. God would not stir your heart to do something if he had not prepared you to do it. True? It's important for us to grasp the today thing because John 4.35 says this, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In God's kingdom, there's not going to be just a little season of harvest and the whole rest of the time not going to be good. There's ripe 
harvest all around us every day. It's not a seasonal thing. We don't have to wait until the fall to see souls saved. Now is the time. John 9, 4 says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So He calls you and He calls me into His vineyard to go into work and to do the work that He's called us to do. He wants us to do it today. He doesn't want us to wait for four weeks. He doesn't want us to wait till we're 20 or 25 or 35 or 40 or 50 or 60, 70, 80, 90, 400, however old you're going to live to be. He doesn't want you to wait until two hours before you're dead to tell things to your kids that they needed to know their whole life. He doesn't want you to wait. Today is the day. Why? Because there's a time coming when you cannot work. There's a time coming, listen, there's a time coming when your body won't allow you to do what you could have done when you were younger. Can I get an amen? There's a time coming when someday the time is over and the harvest is brought in and you're standing before the Father and He says, what were you thinking? I gave you 20 years. I gave you 30 years. You've been a believer for 45 years. What have you done? Now is the day because see what follows when things are dark, when the time comes that no man can work. Hebrews 9.27, just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. 2 Corinthians 6.2, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And Psalm 97 says this, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen, my friends, today is not the day to procrastinate. We spoke about those last week that were the early risers, the ones that showed up at 6 o'clock ready to work, and then those that, that stood around all day rejecting the call till 11 o'clock. But the fact of the matter is that 5 o'clock in the morning, every single one of them was employed, unemployed. They were all in the same condition. Every one of them had the same heart. Every one of them needed a Savior. Today, it's not just about you and me being saved. It's not just about you and me being in this house together to come in and to have a great service. It's about the lost as well. It's about the others that our Savior loves. It's about the others that He died for too, that we would be equipped, that we would be mindful and thoughtful enough to reach out to them. Why do we do Light the Night? Why do we fix a huge meal for a family that really is, is not connected to our church for a funeral? Why do we do that? Because we love them. We love them enough to reach out and to show them that we're here for them because the Father has called us to do so today because there's a harvest that's waiting today. Now all through the scripture we see this picture of mankind with the imagery of two sons. We'll get back to the parable. We're still in it. I'm just setting some foundation here. In Genesis we see Cain and we see Abel. Y'all remember Cain and Abel, don't you? Abel brought a sacrifice that was worthy. It was blood. It was what was taught to Adam and Eve in the garden. Cain brought his own gift and thought that was good enough. And God said, look, he said, if you, if you do what's right, won't it be accepted? And he chose to go his own path. He chose to do his own thing. Stick that in your head for a second. He chose to go his own way to do his own thing and to, and to just, just make his own way for what he thinks right. And he had an attitude toward God. He judged God because of it. 
Who is God to say this to me? And he turned around, obviously, and he ended up killing his brother. One is a symbol of promise and obedience, and the other is a symbol of those that make their own path. We see also Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael being the son of the slave woman. Scripture says in Galatians, Paul talks about uh, one being the son of the slave woman and one being the son of the free. And that we're to live as sons of the free woman. Not the sons of the slave. What, what does that mean? Well, obviously Ishmael was born out of Abraham's flesh. And while Isaac was too, it was done in a supernatural way. So one would be referred to as one that's carnal and the other being referred to as one as the spirit. Listen, there is no in between. There's two. You're either a son of your flesh or you're a son of the spirit. You're either serving Christ or you're not serving Christ. There is no in between. Jacob and Esau. Another two representations of two men, a representation of those that were carnal. Even though Esau had the birthright, even though Esau should have been the one in authority and leadership, Esau's the one that because he was, he was led by his flesh, because he was carnal-minded, he allowed himself to give away all of his birthright for a bowl of soup. I'm starving to death. I must have it now. Spiritual would be Jacob, carnal would be Esau. Now, one other thought before we get too further. I just use an oxymoron. <laughs> Spiritual Jacob. I'm not talking about your kid. I'm talking, I'm talking about... We know this about Jacob in the Bible. He was a little bit of a trickster, wasn't he? He a little underhanded. Was Jacob perfect in the Bible? And yet he was called spiritual. It was, uh, was Isaac perfect? No. But they were committed to Christ before Christ. They were committed to God to obey and to follow God. But listen to me this morning. I want you to understand something very clear. All of us, all of us probably in this room at one point or another lived like the son that said no. Or am I just the only one? Like I said, Becky said there's somebody said, I'm shocked he's a pastor. I said, well, it's not the first time I've ever heard that. Probably won't be the last time I've ever heard it. Listen, some of us, now, now I want you to grab a hold of this with me this morning. Some of us need to let go of our past and quit judging ourselves for who we used to be and accept the fact that we repented and we are now working in the Father's vineyard. Hear me, I'll say it again. Some of us need to let go of our past and accept the fact that today we're saved and we're working the Father's vineyard. There are people, church, there are people that carry burdens around all the days of their life thinking about, oh, the person I used to be. Oh, the things I used to do. Oh, the things I've done. Listen, God's not like a man, like a father, that every time a son would mess up, would throw it up in his face and see, see, there it is again. There you are again. You're another worthless loser doing the same thing over and over and over. No, no, no. He ain't like that. Our God is able to forget. And when we bring it up to him, he's like, what are you talking about? Why do you keep bringing this up to me? Listen, forget it and go on. Jacob wasn't perfect. Isaac wasn't perfect. Listen, the side of, the, of mankind that's spiritual wasn't ever perfect. That's why we needed to repent. That's why we have a Savior that forgave us. That's why we can go on now with a conscience that's clear. All the enemy wants you to do is to carry that baggage around all the days of your life to weigh you down, to slow you down, to weaken you, to make you miserable. Why? So you won't work in the vineyard. Hmm... <laughs> Got to tell somebody. 
Listen, the other side of that is, <laughs> is the other son. The one that is manipulative to God and says, yeah, I will, to make the other one look really bad. Hear what I'm saying today, folks. The one that will put on the suit, brush his teeth and his hair and shave, which I appreciate that everybody does. Men and women alike. The shave part, you'll get that in a minute. Anyway, we come to church and we try to look good and we look the part and we come in and we say, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Yes, I'm going to work in your vineyard, Lord. Mm, you're so good. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And then we leave and we go, I'm going to do whatever I want. You see, this son stood before the father and he said, look, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, knowing in his mind, I'm not going to go do it. It's a condition, folks, of called a hypocrite that is lost. Doesn't know Christ. Amen. Quiet amens. That's good. Quiet amens because that means the Spirit of God's working. Let's move on. I think I'm way off my notes anyway. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 30. We look where this parable shows us a representation between those that are repentant versus those that are religious. First one obviously said, I will not... Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. I can't help but think of the parallel of the prodigal son with this. The the parallel of the prodigal son with this is the fact that the one son looks at his father and he says, with great disrespect, I hate you, I'm done with you, you're as good as dead to me, give me my inheritance and leave. Now number one, if any of my kids did that to me and demanded their inheritance, I'd say, you don't get an inheritance, just leave. <laughs> so log that in your heads, kids. <laughs> this, this, kid, this kid looks at his dad and says, I'm done. So he takes all of his money, he throws it and spends it on riotous living, uh, women, prostitutes, alcohol, until he's down to nothing and he's serving, working with pigs, which for a Jewish man was pretty low. And he's in there in the pig slop and he says, wow, this pig food looks good. Have you ever been there before? Well, I'm just so hungry I could eat me some pig food. So he said, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to humble myself and I'll be a servant for him and he'll forgive me. And the father embraced him and the father brought him back into this house. And what did the other son do? He's jealous and he's frustrated. He challenged the goodness of his father for letting this wicked son back in his house. He said, look, he said, my son was dead and now he lives. My son was dead and now he lives. So there's two sons, church. Is, are we the one that is repentant and obedient to Christ? Or are we the one that, that is, is uh, thinking that we have all the good things of God and quick to judge others? We know and see in Luke 15.10, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who are we to judge others? It's quick for us as church people to see somebody get saved and then come in and they don't have it all figured out yet, so we say things. Oh, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. That's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to help and to assist for those that have found life in Jesus Christ. So verse 31, the question, I'm going to be closing this out here in just a few minutes, but the question that that needs to be answered, which of the two did what his father wanted? 
Very confidently, these men of wisdom, anybody knows how to answer this question. Anybody that is a child or ever was a child knows the answer to this question. If your dad tells you to do something and you get mad and you say no and then you go do it anyway, he's going to be more likely to not beat you to death. Amen? But if you stand there and say, yes, Father, I will go do it. And then you don't do it, you're going to suffer the same thing that the other one should have suffered that said, I'm not going to do it. Amen? Anybody with common sense would know this. These men were wise. They were teachers of the law. They understood this. They were wise quickly. There's not even a space. There's not even a, a they said. It just said they, the first they answered. The first. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now that's a weird way to finish that. But it reminds me of David and it reminds me of Nathan, the prophet Nathan. It's the same type of parable that the prophet Nathan, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say the prophet Nathan? He come to David. I'm going to read it to you. 2 Samuel, this is, after, this is after David had an affair with Bathsheba, his best friend's wife. And then she finds out she's pregnant. And then he has her husband killed. Talk about judging somebody. This David is supposed to be a man after God's heart. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two women in a certain town. Again, how many? Two. It's either one or the other, folks. You starting to see a pattern here? There's two women. Two men, sorry. I started thinking about David for a second. He had all kinds of women. But anyway... Go on, get it out your system. Just enjoy yourself. Just talk amongst yourselves for the next 15 minutes. When he came to him, he said there were two men in a certain town. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. A little strange. A lot of love for a little sheep. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had, had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, see, he didn't have to think very long. Nathan just finished. It's so obvious. The truth is so obvious. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Listen, it's the same thing with these Pharisees. They were judges with evil intent. They would look at others. They would look at the prostitutes. They would look at the tax collectors. Those that were following Jesus. Those that heard the message. Those that responded. Though they used to be this way, now they're this way because they're being cleansed through righteousness that comes from Him. Now they're looking at them and saying, Who is this man that's associating with publicans and sinners? Does it sound familiar? Judging everybody else and establishing themselves in righteousness because we are. And He said, Look, you self-righteous. Those people are going to enter heaven before you. Because they at least repented of their sin. You, however, refuse to repent. And are still in the condition they were in before. 
You see, we talked last week about how Jesus confronted the Pharisees or the disciples saying, Hey, look, if you continue to have an attitude, a superiority conflict, conflict good grief, slow down, mouth. <laughs> superiority, superiority complex. There we go. If you think you're better than everybody else, we'll do it that way. It makes more sense. Then you're going to be last in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These are bold statements, folks. These are bold statements. As Amber comes, I'm going to close this out. What's the point of all this? There's two sons. There's one that was sinful and rebellious, that repented and obeyed the Lord and was forgiven. There's another that stood in front of him. Obviously, this could be compared with Gentiles and the Jews all alike, but we're dealing with hearts right now. And the other one's standing here in front of him and saying, no, uh, I'll, I'll, sure, I'll go work in your vineyard. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And then leave and they work their own agenda and they do their own thing and they follow their own path. That's what they're doing. What, what do you think this morning? What, what do you think? With a question that's that easy to answer. You're either a yes or a no, not a guess so. You're either in the kingdom or you're not a part of the kingdom. It's one or the other. It's, it's, not, it's not I can just fake it and, and try to live in both places and think that it's all going to... It's not going to be okay, folks. You can't take some kind of self-righteousness and live with that and think that God's going to honor that because you're not obeying Him. Why aren't they entering the kingdom of heaven? Why isn't the religionist entering the kingdom of heaven? There's two things. First, he's very religious in saying, yes, he would work, but doesn't work in the master's vineyard. Instead, he works in his vineyard of his religion. In churches right now all over America, there are people that will walk in the doors every Sunday and say yes and refuse to work in his vineyard. They've accepted their religion. They've accepted their communion process. They've, they've accepted their order of service. And if you get out of that order of service a little bit, Pastor, you're going to hear it. Because we've got to be done at 11.45 to get to the beef house for everybody else. I'm joking and I'm serious at the same time. It happens, folks. And you know it. You know some of these individuals. Hopefully they're not in the room. Amen? Listen, I can tell you this. There are a lot of things we can do as far as rituals and religion and things that make us feel good and still do them out of order. We talk about that all the time. We haven't done communion in a while. I usually try to do it every month, but we just haven't with this teaching. Listen, you can take communion and do it wrong. You can take it in an unworthy manner. We can take the rituals and the things that are supposed to remind us of Christ and blow them out of proportion and make that our religion instead of knowing Christ. These people said, I'll, I'll say yes. I'll put my suit on. I'll go to church every Sunday. But I'm not really going to do anything for Christ the rest of the week. Once a week, I'm going to show up at church. And then, and then the rest of the week, I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to pursue Him in prayer. I'm not going to come to Wednesday night Bible study. I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to drop my kids off at the church. Pastor, it's your job to raise my kids and to make sure that they know me. Pastor, I'm going to drop my kids off at Rangers or Girls Ministry. And you're the one that's supposed to do Listen, my friends, it is you that's been called to raise your children in the vineyard that God's called you to work in. We'll assist you all we can, folks. But God has not called us to receive Him to be lazy because those that are obedient are those that the Father dwells with, according to Scripture. A life that says yes and doesn't follow through with obedience is a life that's still in rebellion. 
The second problem that they had is they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was, but they didn't believe. You say, what's the difference? We say believe. Oh, I believe in Santa Claus. You know, I believe in, I believe in the great pumpkin. I believe in the Easter bunny. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus too. Yeah, I believe, I'm a believer. I believe her. Yeah, I'm a believer. I think there's a Jesus, yes. No, that's not what it means. The word believe in Scripture comes from the Greek word pistuo, which means very simply that a person's life will line up with the teaching of the one they believe in. That they follow them. That they act upon the things that have been said, the things that have been done. These individuals knew who Jesus was, knew He was the Messiah, and still refused to believe. Still refused to believe. You see that, all that confrontation with John the Baptist. Listen, I'm about done. Don't, I don't want to lose you right here. The whole confrontation that I talked about John the Baptist saying, saying well, what, what right do you have to say this? What authority? By what authority do you do these things? The heart of a Pharisee, a heart of one that says yes without obedience is always to do this. What right do you have, have to say anything to me about this? Pastor just pastor just confronted me on something and, and what, by what authority do you think you have to be able to even speak into my life? Hopefully that's not too close to home for us. These people, if they were going to listen to anybody, they should have listened to John and they refused to listen to John. John came in righteousness. John came in holiness. The Pharisees were separatists. They wanted to be separate from the world. You tell me, is there anybody more separate from the world than John the Baptist? Wore camel skin didn't touch grapes, ate locusts and wild honey. Tell me, if you're talking about separatists, this should have been their role model. This should have been the one they go, oh, that guy's got it right. <laughs> He's intense. He's more intense than we are. <laughs> but no, they looked at him and they say, who is this guy? And what do they think? Who does he think he is telling me to repent and calling me a brood of vipers? Who does he think he is? And then they wouldn't even listen to Jesus. Jesus himself. Have you ever heard? <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it. Have you ever heard? I've been around enough pastors to hear this. People say, well, it don't matter. They wouldn't be happy if Jesus himself ran the church. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard that statement before? So-and-so, they don't matter if they'd be happy. They won't be happy themselves. They wouldn't be happy if Jesus himself was running the church, the pastor. In this case, it was true. It was true. All they did was look at him and throw darts of frustration saying, you're not right, you're not right, you're not right. Listen, if they weren't going to follow John, they should have followed Jesus. They're separatists. Nobody came in righteousness like Jesus. All they wanted to do, listen folks, all they wanted to do was find one opportunity for him to mess up so they could kill him. One. Oh, we're just looking for that opportunity. Jesus, you say the right thing. You're going down, buddy. And they couldn't even do that. They had to find liars to do it. They had to find liars. Even when they looked for a time for him to break the law, they were looking for some reason to disprove him so they wouldn't have to listen. Listen, today, your pastor is not perfect. I am not perfect. But don't you limit yourself by looking at me and judging me for things I have done or I have said that's under the blood to make an excuse why you shouldn't believe in the one that is righteous. Isn't God good? He's so good, church. Will you stand with me this morning?
So, what do you think? Jesus looked at him and said, what do you think? It's an easy answer, isn't it? Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you obeying Him with your life? If you are, it doesn't matter what you were before. That's gone. Scripture says, Scripture says very clearly that if anyone be in Christ, He is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and you praise God, you can thank Him, you can lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for forgiving me for the things that I've said and done. But if you're here this morning and you're still rebellious and you've not repented, you've said no. Or if you're one of those here today that have said yes, Lord, and you're not living for Him, you know who you are. You need a Savior. You need to repent. There's still hope for all of us. There's still hope. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope for you. Bow your heads with me.